Okay, but do Americans have it too good? Hey guys, welcome back to The Essentials Podcast, the show giving you a fresh take on American culture and society, and I'm the host, Maddie Flint. This episode, I'm going to be discussing the fact that Americans cannot stop complaining about issues that other countries don't even have right now, but I'm going to talk about why and what it's looking like for us in the future as a civilization. United States of America, 2023. Our society is tolerant of everything except opposing viewpoints. I'm sure that you guys are able to conjure up some mental images of the craziness that we've seen outside or on the news recently. We've got the removal and censorship of significant moments in people in history. We have children attending drag shows. And we have celebrities that many, many people look up to and are influenced by performing demonic shows and engaging in very inappropriate behavior that's trickling into video games, movies, TV shows, and the rest of their music. Not to mention all the economic problems we're currently facing and people getting really, really upset and offended that they aren't going to be judged by their skin color when applying to college. That's literally intentional, separate but equal policies that are now meant to end racism. That's just doesn't even make any sense. There's children glorifying gang violence and teens diagnosing themselves with mental disorders because it gives them a sense of belonging. Imagine a societal trend that's encouraging people to want to have a mental illness or to be praised for having a mental illness instead of receiving appropriate treatment so that people can heal from their mental illnesses instead of embracing them and making it a part of their personality. That's the society we live in right now. We can't even explain what a woman is. I think having conflict and turbulence at a sexual level is really dangerous, and I'm going to discuss this further in a little bit. So if you happen to have any knowledge about the history of civilizations, you know that there is a cyclical rise and fall of the strongest nations. I think actually that schools and universities should have classes that delve deeper into the history of human civilizations because that would be for the good of the students. People need to learn about the mistakes that were made, the things that work, and the patterns that occur. So let's take a look at the socio-political climate of ancient Rome before it fell. In summary, they were conquering a lot of land and the leaders who were struggling for power were becoming richer while the people became poorer. The rich leaders were buying large plots of farmland and the farms fell into disrepair. Political power was more important to those in leading government roles than helping the people they represent. They even used economic inequality to acquire more power for themselves. There was also a general named Sulla who marched his army on Rome in 87 BC, starting an intentional civil war to prevent his political opponent from remaining in power. So with just that, we can tell that we're following a very similar trajectory, only 1,546-ish years into the future. Getting people to take sides over external dividing factors and encourage groupthink to benefit political influence, therefore leading to one-party control. So there was a lot of turmoil within Rome itself, actually, and that can create a weakness. That happened also to the ancient Greek civilization. They were overthrown by the Romans, but let's look at what happened to them before their decline. So we have this amazing culture of ancient Greece 
and it was a springboard for Western civilization because of its influence on so many things like art and science and language and I could go on. But there came a point where the city-states of Greece all began fighting against each other and it lost its grip hold on success and started to decline. So being ununified as a whole is very detrimental to the society as a whole. The Greeks were not able to band together against a common opponent like ancient Rome because of all of this divisiveness. And also occurring in ancient Greece, there were poor civilians who were just fed up with the oligarchy and the monarchy, and because they were city-states, they weren't all just under one unified form of government. So there were people who were operating under a democracy, but some other people weren't, and this just led to unrest. That happened to the French too, before the French Revolution, because the people, again, were fed up with their government because there was this power struggle and abuse of political power by people in high positions. That's why when America was first founded, our framers took into account the issues that arise with one-party rule and concentrated power, thus leading us into a layout of three branches of government so that power would be separated and that was supposed to prevent dictatorships from forming. So this stuff is all kind of the people versus the people in power because it gets to a point where the people in power and the people who have control over educational institutions, the government, and for us in a modern world, mainstream social media have a lot of influence over our ways of life, whether we like it or not. That's why it's important to vote. Now, influence is kind of a big point because something else that was also prevalent that a lot of current big name news media companies don't talk much about and would be very quick to fact check is the issue of a cultural shift to androgyny. And I know that Joe Rogan talked about this, and Jordan Peterson also has a lot of good information about why and how this cultural fad is manifesting itself so militantly. But this can definitely play a part in the downfall of a strong nation. So here's where I'm gonna expand on that topic of turbulence at the sexual level. So it's very, very important to have your strong men and your strong women. This nation itself was founded by strong men and strong women who came all the way over here to build a new nation out of scratch because they were sick of being discriminated against. They wanted to exercise their God-given rights. So they came over here and created a country for it. And you know what they always say, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, Good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. And that's a quote from a post-apocalyptic novel called Those Who Remain. And that demonstrates that cyclical rise and fall like I was talking about earlier in this episode. Our current political climate in America, or well, more of a social climate, there's this theme of toxic masculinity that is very detrimental supposedly to women because being a strong man is a bad thing when it comes to gender equality. Then we have very progressive women's rights activists out here telling women that trans women who are biological men are women and they're not. This isn't about me hating anybody, but this is just about biological truth. 
I think that it's very offensive to women to be called a birthing person. Who wants to be called a birthing person? Only women can give birth. But so many of these gender equality rules are putting women down and labeling them in a very stereotypical way, saying that you can't be a mom and have a career so you should get an abortion. That's terrible. Women can do both. So there's really this undercurrent that is trying to diminish the dynamics between men and women and make us a lot more androgynous and kind of stop people from viewing gender as a binary dichotomy, which it is, but no one wants you to think like that anymore. Camille Pallia, who is an American feminist, academic, and social critic, actually has a great discussion on transgender and civilization's decline. And she has taught at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, but she's really coming out against modern transgenderism and modern feminism and all of this stuff to the point where the students no longer wanted her to teach there. Because she's critiquing this society and looking at the ways that we're setting ourselves up for a downfall. She has said that androgyny becomes prevalent, quote, as a civilization is starting to unravel. You can find it again and again in history. And then she also talked about how people who live in such times, they feel they're very sophisticated, they're very cosmopolitan, she says, but in truth, they're evidence of a civilization that no longer believes in itself, end quote. Something she talks about a lot are the people on the outside who believe in heroic masculinity and that there's a huge disconnect between a culture that's infatuated with transgenderism and what's going on on the outside. And she's right, I think. This insanity can't last. It's just not sustainable. Pallia herself is actually a lesbian, but she is hated by many people in that community. And you can see why. Along those lines, there are studies by political scientist Dale Kuna that talk about how young people today are much less binary when it comes to understanding identity. He mentioned that we don't live at a tipping point, that we're already beyond the tipping point, whether older adults realize it or not, but that the conversation is not only about gender, but also about identity as a release from the confines of gender. And he has this key statement that in short if the ultimate source of reference is the self and if no other self then the individual is a reference point how can you know who or what you are that is so important because i'm going to be taking this discussion and looking at it again through the lens of psychology so get that mental image of kind of a pyramid or a triangle in your mind because that tipping point would be at the top and now i'm going to discuss what i mean through the use of maslow's timeless hierarchy of needs so to recap the layout of the hierarchy on the first layer and there are five layers we have physiological needs air water food shelter sleep clothing reproduction then the second tier we have safety needs personal security, employment, resources, health, property. Third, we have love and belonging, and that includes friendship, intimacy, family, and a sense of connection. On the fourth tier, we have esteem, respect, self-esteem, status, recognition, strength, and freedom. And on the fifth tier is self-actualization. That is the desire to become the most that one can be. 
that is where I'm, for this conversation, going to equate that whole gender tipping point thing at self-actualization. Because as a first world country, we have all of those other things and we take those things for granted. We have this mania over gender when there are so many more serious issues to be prioritizing that even first world countries have problems with, like economic inequality and abuse of power. Like, if this isn't the definition of a first world problem, I don't know what is. Americans complain so much. Corporations and educational institutions, workplaces and schools, all that stuff and even healthcare centers have to be politically correct enough to the point where they must support and encourage delusion because that's how much power the people have when exercising their first amendments. We've come to a point where biology has been removed as a factor of reference and arguments because people have somehow convinced themselves that chromosomal makeup isn't enough to explain a person's biological sex. Like the Greeks and the Romans, Americans have a high-functioning society when it comes to what we have access to. It's all about accessibility here. Convenience, speed, and accessibility. We put a high premium on those things. And so did the Romans and the Greeks. They contributed a lot of advancements to society. The Romans revolutionized running water by using a pipe system that brought fresh water from the mountaintops into urban areas. They had hot tubs, they had like shopping complexes, and then the Greeks had a flourishing society where they were really serious about being intellectual. They pioneered concepts like geometry, trigonometry, philosophy, astronomy, and the things I talked about previously. They even created democracy. But even with all of those incredible advancements that the rest of the world would follow, they had some issues with gender and sexuality. And there are a lot of ancient people who believed that gender is a spectrum, and you'll hear a lot of LGBTQ activists using them as reference points and saying that this stuff isn't new. And they're right, it's not new, but that doesn't mean it's not wrong. Some of you may be familiar with the biblical story of Sodom, and I bring it up because the people of Sodom were taking part in so much sin that they became known for it. The story is a lesson about the consequences of sin, and that kind of immorality will lead to destruction. God had had enough with them, and Abraham had been pleading with God through prayer to save the people, and they were able to work out a compromise because there were 10 people who still believed and who were pure of heart. But over time, there weren't any more. There weren't any. And Abraham was very empathetic to these people. So that's why they were spared at first. But at the end, no one was pure. So God ended up destroying their land. And even if you're not religious, that's a very symbolic message, which remains relevant to this day, as a lot of biblical stories do. They remain true and they point out issues that have yet to come and that have happened. And they warn us of these behaviors that humans partake in that lead to destruction. As Pallia said, these are patterns that we're seeing over and over again, and they lead to a cultural demise, and we're in the midst of it, or beyond the tipping point. So to come back to that idea of a hierarchy of needs, America is very deep in sexual sin, which is dangerous for people's mental health. Freud was definitely onto something, whether you agree or not. I know there are a lot of controversies surrounding the tenets of his psychosexual analysis, but I think there was a lot of potential. Because, and yes, there is a lot of misinterpretation about his theories, but 
They aren't about promoting uninhibited sexual expression, but rather the significance of its development and the necessities of it developing in a normal way versus the pitfalls that can occur in adulthood if it doesn't develop normally. So in American society right now, we're praising all this immorality and there's so much inappropriate behavior being normalized that some people are even trying to normalize pedophilia. So we have health and wellness professionals encouraging this behavior and equating everything to overcoming some kind of trauma. And then this stuff, this inappropriate behavior because of that gains the status of being considered a part of personal expression. So you can't come after it because then you'd be personally attacking this person. But it's evil. And the civilizations cannot be sustainable when they get to this point of mania, as we can see from history. So on the hierarchy of needs, we are at that top point of self-actualization and people are trying to find fulfillment without Jesus. And I think that happens in first world countries where everything is now to the point where it's accessible, all of those basic needs versus in a third world country and third world nations are categorized as developing nations. The people there are working to get those basic necessities of life. They're working to build shelters, to get food. People have to walk for miles to get fresh drinking water. We can just go over and turn on a sink. And I think Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a perfect way to conceptualize the needs of the people in a first world versus a third world country. We aren't suffering to acquire deficiency needs. And these needs are concerned with basic survival and they include those physiological needs like food and sleep and safety needs. And the behaviors that are associated with these needs are seen as deficiency motivated. And Maslow said initially that individuals must satisfy those lower level needs first before progressing to meet higher level growth needs. And over time, America has acquired all of those things. And it's it was hard to acquire them because if you just take a look back at any point in time where we were cultivating our civilization and we were building our industries and the workplaces were unsanitary, unsafe, we had a lot of immigrants coming here to get a better life and they helped to build the nation. We had a lot of things that we had to work on. But we were building housing complexes. We were building highways so people can get back and forth to each other, everything. And we have too much. So that is where these weird trends with transgenderism and gender mania come into play because it happened in Rome and it happened in Greece. And it's really, really weird. So we really should be aware of these social patterns they are not good things. They're not things to be praised. They're actually warning signs, I think. And you really can't fully fulfill yourself without Jesus. Of course, I'm a Christian, and I know that other Christians will agree, but it's really hard to live a life without a sense of spiritual fulfillment. And even that's mentioned in Maslow's hierarchy of needs that we're multifaceted people, you know? humans are multifaceted and we want to worship something so people who aren't worshiping jesus are in some other way 
filling that space with the worship of something else. And that's why I think it's really important to have a solid moral grounding because you want to be careful what you're worshiping. And Jesus said he is the way and the truth and the life. So I think if you're in search of something, you should be in search of him. And on that note, that concludes this episode of the Essentials Podcast. I hope that you guys enjoyed this show and that it got you thinking. And as always, I appreciate the listen. And while you're here, be sure to check out all the other great podcasters that have their shows uploaded right here on the BMG Network.